Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that knows where he gets those wonderful toys. My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. Uh, How's it going? (laughs) Um, We are doing something special this week. If this is the first time listening to us, uh, normally we would talk about things we watch and read, and then we talk about some news, and then we would hit uh, a top five list at the end. We're changing things up. Uh, We had to take this week off because it is July 4th week-ish. Uh, the reason I say this is because where this list will, f- where this week, this episode will fall, we will be on a week off for July Fourth. Uh, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. I'm busy. Peter's busy. We just wanted to make life easy on us. We figured we'd take a week off, but so we're recording the episode early. Um, but we thought what would be really cool is this year, 1989, is the 30th anniversary of Tim Burton's Batman. We don't get to Endgame if this movie didn't happen. You know, you can argue that we don't get to Endgame if Superman didn't happen. Right. But in all seriousness, Superman was a specific style of storytelling with that movie. And I almost feel like this movie kind of showed us what a comic book movie could be. Right. And it kind of really drove the industry forward. I think. If, this, does that make sense? This movie... Sh- like showed us how to take superheroes seriously. I think. Yeah, out of yeah, that's a good uh, melodrama of maybe the Donner Superman. That's fans. a good point. Um, um, but I do sorry, think if you go if you go and watch uh, like the Sam Raimi Spider Man movie, for example, and then compare it to the original Donner Superman from nineteen seventy eight, right? They're like almost identical, like story structure wise. So, <laughs> but anyways, yeah, I mean. Keep going. Yeah, no. So what I'm going to do is, I thought this would be kind of cool to do, is we're going to pull up, so I'm going to uh, boxofficemojo.com right now to pull up some Batman stats, um, just because I was kind of curious about it. Uh, so it opened in 1989, uh, June-ish. When was the release date? Um, hang on. I am looking for the release date. And it released June 23rd, 1989. So we're, like, recording this, like, right in the release window. Um, It was two hours and six minutes, so it's, like, two minutes longer than The Force Awakened. (laughs) Um, The production budget. This is going to blow your mind a little bit because it shows 30 years ago what movies cost to what they cost today. The production budget for Endgame was $500 million, I think. Let um, Let me go back. (laughs) <laughs> this will be fun. Entertain the people real quick while I look this up. Um, um, talk about the movie, dude. What do you, what do you got? <laughs> I've been put so much on the spot here. Um, oh, they don't have a production budget listed. So what I... Oh, no. Wrong movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here we go. Um, production budget for Avengers Endgame was $356 million. Okay. Okay. I had read that... Endgame was five hundred million. Infinity was five hundred million, so it was a billion total. Yeah, three hundred fifty-six million dollar production budget, and that's for Avengers Endgame. Okay, I'm gonna jump back and pull up Batman real quick um, because this is the thing that will blow your mind. Um, I'm really curious. Adjusted for inflation too, like I'm gonna really I'm gonna are. look that up as well. So the um, <laughs> so the production budget for the 1989 Batman film. Is thirty-five million dollars. Jeez. Okay, that is right? insane. And but if you look at the production value of the movie, 
Like, it's it's a gorgeous film. Yeah. It really is. When you look at the art direction by Anton First, the Batmobile, the, the buildings, like, right. the costume alone, $35 million to make this movie. That That's is insane. Yeah, that is absolutely insane. That's 30 years ago today. Um, the movie brought in uh, $251 million um, domestic. So that's the entire run for the United States. What's funny is that's good in today's money, though. Like, that's actually, like, a pretty... That's, that's, no, that's, like, opening weekend in today's money. Oh, that's money. fair enough. Do you yeah, know what I, guess I mean? I, I guess I think so so much about opening weekend. But, like, yeah. today's money, that's, like, opening weekend. Um, worldwide, it brought in $411 million. Okay? This was, like, astoundingly good at the right. time. Like, 30 years ago, <laughs> that's, ex- like, astoundingly good. Um, the, it falls, let's see here, it won one Academy Award for Art Direction by Anton First, uh, which is great, so it was like the first, co- it showed them that, you know, I don't, I'd have to look up Superbands to find out if they won anything, but, um, Batman winning, I mean, that's, that's kind of a big thing to have a comic book movie win any. Right. Um, so I need to pull up. Well, that's one of the things is like. So we re- we both rewatched the movie very recently before recording yeah. this, and rewatching it, like I was thinking so much about how Tim Burton really approached Batman. Like it's a superhero film, and he didn't have to do this, but he really took like an artistic approach to making this movie. Um, and everybody, all time adjusted, it okay, ranks fifty seven. Okay, it ranks fifty seventh on the all time adjusted list. Nice, so. that's really high. I know that this movie, like specific, like I've. I was like in '89 when it released. It was the number one movie. Well, that's the, the thing is like I was alive for it, but I was like three years old, so like I didn't know like I I've heard stories of Batmania and how everybody was talking about it, wearing Batman shirts, you, shaving bat symbols into their hairline and stuff. But when, yeah, yeah. When this movie came out, so I was nine years old when this movie came out. I was all I always joke that I'm a lifelong Batman fan. My first foray into Batman was Adam West. Mm-hmm. Um, the 1966 series. This was Batman. I, I honestly say this would be like my first real Batman. <laughs> Does that make sense in a way? Um, this was like, yeah, the 1986 Batman, 1966 Batman, the Adam West series. It was fun and games and stuff like that. Yeah. But this was like, wow, this is serious. Um, I wanted to see this movie so bad but you couldn't go anywhere without seeing toys without seeing t-shirts without seeing posters yeah uh in times square manhattan there was a bat symbol that sat on one of the billboards in times square for the entire year (laughs) Mm -hmm. like for a full year just one giant bat symbol because that's all it was it was batman and batman was the number one and it's it's funny that like how crazy it was back then and then thinking about how long it took us to get to today where like superhero movies are like the number one movies every year and they're coming out so much and everybody loves them and is is obsessed with them but like back when this movie came out like it was like probably the only one and it was like the first time it was taken seriously which could lend to like why everybody was like went so you know ape shit over it for lack of a better term i do have a couple things that i wanted to that i thought was really kind of cool that i had to pull up um so first off, Michael Keaton got cast as Batman, and Jack Nicholson got cast as Joker. Yeah. Now, when we talk about casting, like, craziness, um, Robert Pattinson just got cast as the new Batman for uh, Matt Reeves' The Batman, right? And there's a lot of, like, internet controversy and people, like, hate letters and stuff yeah. like that. Um, 
the same went and you know Affleck had the same problem um so this is something I think is interesting. This was before the internet. So there was no internet when Batman 89 came out. Warner Brothers received 50,000 protest letters in response to the casting of Michael <laughs> Keaton um, in, as Batman in the movie. Yeah. So clearly petitions are nothing like, I mean, that people protested, but the talk went flat. And there are people today that still say that Michael Keaton is the best Batman. Mm-hmm. I definitely say he's one of the best. And I'll give him that credit. Um, and I still say we need to have a Michael Keaton uh, play Bruce Wayne again in the Batman Beyond movie. Sure, but, yeah. Uh, this is something I thought was interesting. So people running for Batman at the time, Michael Keaton got the role. Pierce Brosnan, uh, Ray Liotta, um, Charlie Sheen, Bill Murray, Harrison Ford, and William Defoe. Okay. I was just trying to wrap my head around all, all of those. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Here's some of these names. It's like, what? You wanted them to play? And I don't see it. Like, you know, I could see it. I, you know, just looking at some of the pictures, because on this thing, it's like pictures of what they looked like back then. Yeah. So I try to see some of these, and I'm like, wow, I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. But I really think Michael Keaton was the best pick for that. Sure. I mean, it's it, Willem Dafoe is interesting, because I still see... Uh, people fan casting him as uh, the Joker. And so it's funny that like he was like a runner-up to be Batman back when this movie was made. Right. Well, here's the runners-up. So Jack Nicholson got the coveted role as the Joker. Here is the the list of people to possibly play the Joker was, aside from Jack Nicholson, Tim Curry. Okay, yeah. David Bowie. Uh, Robin Williams. John Lithgow. And James Woods. Um, honestly, I'd like to see a James Woods Joker. I'm trying to, I'm drawing a blank on James Woods. Um, what would I know that actor from? Did you ever see the movie The Specialist? Possibly. Uh, which, uh, with Stallone and Sharon Stone? I don't think so, no. Um, okay, James Woods, he's a... He's, I'm gonna look at, look he's got up, He's got a honest. really, really cool villain role in that movie, and because of that movie, I kind of would want to see... Uh, Tim Curry's a little, I think, too funny... But I think James Woods would have been a really See, cool, like, serious... I think when you think of Tim Curry, you have to think of, like, his role in the movie Legend or, like, him being it, like, Pennywise the right. Clown and stuff. And I can totally see, like... I feel like Jack Nicholson and Tim Curry are both the guys you would think are, like, the shoe-ins for the time. Um, did I want to say... Did you say Robin Williams was on that list, too? Yeah. Because I thought I heard one... Before they made The Dark Knight, I thought that I heard that... Robin Williams was a runner-up to play the Joker or something. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, like, in a newer Batman movie. But, yeah, I don't know how that would have played out. But Yeah. Well, um, I, have a, I have a couple things here. Um, so Batman was a critical and financial success, earning $400 million at the box office totals. It was fifth highest grossing film in history at the time of its release. The film received several Saturn Award nominations and a Golden Globe nomination. It won an Academy Award, and it also inspired the equally successful Batman the Animated Series. This this is the movie that is the reason the Batman Animated Series looks the way it looks is because of this film. Yeah. Um, and it paved the way for the DC Animated Universe. Um, and then it says here, it has influenced Hollywood's modern marketing and developed techniques for the superhero genre. Um, and then there's a really cool quote here from Tim Burton. Um 
who directed the film, I was never a giant comic book fan, but I always loved the image of Batman and the Joker. The reason I've never been a comic book fan, and I think it all started when I was a child, is because I could never tell which box I was supposed to read. I don't know if it was dyslexia, dyslexia or whatever. But that's why I loved The Killing Joke, because for the first time I could tell which one to read. It's my favorite, it's the first comic I ever loved, and the success of those graphic novels made our ideas more acceptable. I love the fact that it, this quote here, he specifically calls out the killing joke because there's a lot of the killing joke, there's a lot of the killing joke in this story in terms of like the Joker's origin, specifically mm-hmm. the Joker's origin. Um, and they didn't really need to do the Joker's origin, uh, but with the killing joke stuff. And so what's interesting about this movie is that they call the Joker's real name Jack Napier. Which, and I don't know if you know this, uh, the Joker had no other name. He was only known right. as the Joker. Yeah. So this was the first time you heard the name Jack Napier. If DC used Jack Napier in the comics at all, Jack Nicholson had to get a paycheck, and so did Tim Burton. It was part of the contract <laughs> yeah. deal. Um, I thought that was smart. really interesting. So Jack Napier, aside from this movie, doesn't ever appear anywhere else except That's for this so film. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this sported uh, characters uh, played by Billy D. Williams. He played Harvey Dent, um, which I had heard there was supposed to be a third in the series with Billy D. Williams returning to play Harvey Dent um, and yeah. did the whole Two Face thing, but that never actually happened. So Billy D. Williams plays. Is that just Two-Face. because of Tim Burton leaving the franchise? It's because or? after Batman Returns, they decided to go a, a different direction with yeah, the series. Yeah, sure. Um, but, well, I mean, because, okay, so I know the guy who played uh, Commissioner Gordon was in all four movies. He was in all four. He so was, was Alfred. Batman through Batman and Robin. Same thing with Alfred. So it just makes me wonder why uh, Billy D. Williams didn't come back once Joel Schumacher yeah. took over the franchise. But um, The American Film Institute also said... Um, anointed Batman the 46th greatest movie hero and the Joker is the 45th greatest movie villain. And this is just uh, this isn't even just comic book movies. This no, is this is the American Film the Institute yeah. says that Batman is the four, like in their list because they do that stuff all the time so Batman is the 46th greatest hero and the Joker is the 45th greatest movie villain ever. Okay. I thought that was really cool because of this movie. I would That's something I think would be kind of fun to look up and see if I can pull like a full list of like what the greatest heroes and villains are. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna have to do some digging for that, but uh, um, that's something we could do for a later episode. Um, not to drag this on very long, but because we have the uh, <laughs> if you're listening at home, we actually have the movie playing in full view <laughs> so we can see it for just visual reference yeah. when we talk. Um, but we wanted to talk about this movie because it's such a perfect movie to discuss in terms of like the it's the 30th anniversary basically mm-hmm. um so what we wanted to do is talk our favorite moments from the film um i wanted to have a chance to watch the movie before we sat down tonight but i didn't get a chance to but okay. i've seen it so many times yeah. that I, I could call out i think you the know moments. the movie a little bit better than me because like I watched the movie and there wasn't really anything I had forgotten about, but it was just a good way to refresh my memory. So you did get a chance to watch the movie. Yeah, I, I watched it over the weekend and it was great. Okay. <laughs> um, so how about this? Uh, if we're if Peter's being quiet at all, he's completely distracted by the fact that <laughs> no, the TV. No, it's more distracting Batman than I thought it would. <laughs> um, 
So uh, <laughs> let's jump to the list. Sounds great. Um, and see where it takes us. Um, so we're going to talk our top five favorite moments from the film. Uh, because this whole episode is my idea, I'm going to make Peter go first. Okay. Um, but uh, what we're going to skip honorable mentions unless you have one. No, I, I got none. Okay. I was just going to skip honorable mentions because this is kind of a special episode and we're, we'll be talking about different scenes throughout the film anyway. Um, so what's your first action? Do you have a first pick? Yeah, I'm trying to uh, think of the order I want to talk oh, about. Oh, hang them, on. But... We, gotta, we forgot to roll our bumper. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, Ryan, we're going to talk the list now. So play the thing. Now for the top five. Okay, go ahead, man. Your first actual pick for the night, because I kind of did that backwards. Okay, uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, I want to go with... There's this scene where uh, it's after... I'm trying to remember. So, Jack Napier, who okay. becomes the Joker, he works for a uh, mob boss sort of character named Grimson, I want to say, in uh, the movie. Yeah, it's uh, Grisham. Grisham, okay, and he's played by the same the same guy who plays like Curly and yeah, uh, so Jack Palance. Um, and so there's a, a point where uh, after he becomes the Joker, he takes that guy out, like he kills him, and he basically takes over that guy's like organized crime empire, and he meets up with all the other like mob bosses or gang leaders or whatever they are. He there's a scene where he meets up with all of them, and he's basically telling them. I'm in charge now. And uh, the scene is actually very similar to, or it reminded me a lot of uh, the scene from Dark Knight that's very similar with the Joker trying to work with all the mob bosses. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, the whole, like, I'm going to make this pencil disappear scene that everybody loves or hates, whatever. But So that scene, um, that is one of, like, the most standout scenes of this movie to me because it has, at the end of, like, the whole scene you're watching and... Uh, Jack Nicholson looks like the Joker. He has already been deformed. He already has this permanent smile on his face, but his skin is flesh tone. And by the end oh, of the yeah. scene, like he starts, he wipes sweat off of his forehead, and you but see the white show through underneath. And when I was a kid, I think I had a big misunderstanding of the scene because I believe the scene is revealing that the Joker's skin is always white. He always has this sort of white, like, painted clown-looking skin now, and he has to put regular makeup over it. That's right? how I always took okay. it. So when I was a kid, what I thought it meant was that the Joker always wears white makeup, and he is so freaking insane that he would put regular flesh tone makeup over another layer of makeup. Oh. So, like, but that made that scene specifically stand out so much for me as a kid, because it's like... He is so crazy, he would wear two layers of makeup. And I know that's, like, a complete misunderstanding of what actually happened. But it, like, for the longest time, I just, like, took it as, like, an awesome way to show somebody being, like, absolutely crazy. So it's, like, kind of a cool way of misunderstanding led to, like, almost like a uh, fan theory that enhanced me for it a little bit as a child. So, yeah. Yeah, I what I loved about that scene was finding out that the Joker, like, his deformity, he's white completely yeah and he uh um he is white but like his his skin has turned like the pasty white and he had to put the flesh tone makeup on so when he wiped it off i'm like god that's just that's great it's a fantastic scene but yeah i totally understand what you're saying (laughs) um so i'm gonna go with the first 
pick of mine. And I realized, you know, when we do these lists, I'm always, like, picking these cool character moments. Yeah. Um, where I feel like almost all of my picks are going to be, like, Batman moments. Um, so the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to pick the scene. It's the Batwing moment at the end of the film when he takes the Batwing and flies it right up onto the front of the moon. Oh, yeah. And it creates the Bat symbol. Now, there's... To be completely honest, you have to be standing in the perfect angle <laughs> for someone to do that correctly. Yeah. But in just an iconic comic book style <laughs> moment, absolutely, yeah. why wouldn't you? Yeah. And in a movie where we didn't, and back in 30 years ago, they didn't look at that and think, they wouldn't have done that today, mm-hmm. you know. But it was a beautiful sequence um, to just see the Batwing you know, this bat-shaped airplane just fly up and kind of line up perfectly on the moon for the briefest moment, and it looks like the bat yeah. symbol, and it flies away. Just a really cool visual. Um, so, uh, you, I, I actually matched with you on this one because uh, I actually wrote down the Batwing sequence, but that specific shot where the Batwing is lined up with the moon was kind of just the, uh, I guess, the uh, climax of that whole sequence for me that, would just, that really made that memorable. Um, but, yeah, I just loved... Uh, I, I don't know, like, the way the Batwing is in this movie, I don't think it would ever actually fly if you recreated that. But it looks really yeah, cool. Yeah, I, don't, I, like I honestly it's... don't think the Batwing mm-hmm. at all is a... I don't think... I would love to see one in real life, but I don't think it could actually fly. Yeah, but um, it's such it's like a cool... It's all fantasy, though, right? Yeah, I mean, it has such a cool, like, it's kind of like this really compact, like, I like how it's made really compact and maneuverable, and I just love, uh, one thing I love about this movie and Batman Returns is just kind of all the cool gadgets that uh, Tim Burton and his team came up with to make these movies, and the Batwing has, like, all sorts of cool gadgets, like the weird scissor thing that he uses to trap all the balloons in and then cut them off it further into the atmosphere and all that like i just think for great, for so. batman 86 having the gadgets ad nauseum yeah the sheer amount of gadgets that were coming out and then to do to actually they didn't have to be silly gadgets but they were like useful gadgets yeah in this film and then i want to say like they were useful and they were handled in a re- realistic way but there was also a lot of them there was a certain amount of whimsy to them as well we're like yeah that conceptually would happen but it really wouldn't <laughs> but it still right. looks awesome and right. i actually like i appreciate that stuff when movies like when they kind of diverge from reality where it's like it could happen but it probably never would in a million times but it still kind of like really uh, captures my imagination, I guess I could say. No, so. yeah, I totally hear you. Um, okay, so my next... So, yeah, we match, so that comes right back to me. Um, my next pick is the actual... the Just the straight opening of the movie. And I'm not talking about the opening credits, because the opening credits are awesome. Yeah. Um, with the camera, you're not sure if you're in the Batcave or what you're flying around, but the camera's just panning through this, like, Almost yeah. like these weird at angled alleyways, and then the camera yeah. pans back, and you're looking at the bat symbol. No, I, I love that opening. I well, I just wanted to touch on that because you remind me of it. Because like that hey, opening uh, is so. I'm sorry I didn't say this earlier, but this is a heavy spoiler warning because we're talking about a movie <laughs> from 30 years ago, but the movie's 30 years old. So right, but that opening is just like you said. It's cool because you don't know what it is, and it's almost like this weird like abstract art sort of opening where you're just like going through these curves and stuff of the bat symbol and it's not till the camera pans away and you actually see it it was such a cool way to do an opening of a movie and really 
just using shapes and colors capture the vibe of Batman. You know, it's so right. genius. But well, keep going. I wasn't talking about that yeah. opening credit sequence. Yeah. I'm talking about the opening with Batman, um, where you have the family that's walking on the alleyway. Very reminiscent of how the Wayne murder happened. You don't know if it's now. If you know comic books, you don't know if this is the Waynes or not mm-hmm. until you see Batman standing on the rooftop and you're like, "Oh my God, that's Batman!" The first shot of him, but and he sees this. These people get mugged just like his parents, and goes to take out the thugs. And it's it's a beautifully shot scene, mostly because at the before this movie came out. All anyone ever knew was Adam West and how that series took place. And now all this talking is making me want to go watch Adam West. Um, <laughs> as much as I love this movie, I kind of want to go back and watch some of the old Adam West stuff. But the um, the way they handle that opening with Batman coming, like, gliding down really slowly and quietly and not making any noise and sneaking up on the thugs yeah. and this little battle on the rooftop and the moment at the end where the guy says, who are you? And he says, I'm Batman real quietly and the Michael Keaton Batman voice and yeah. disappears over the edge of the ledge. It just, you at that moment, you're like, I'm in for a treat. <laughs> this is going to be awesome. Yeah, like, for sure. It That's was really like, what's the attention grabber at the beginning of the movie? You've got my attention. Yeah. Um, have so. you heard of the, uh, I don't know if it's true, but it's, uh, the story that that original li- first line from Batman of just like the I'm Batman thing, what it was originally supposed to be. No. So I heard, oh, I, yes. that I, I heard on like a this. podcast or something that it was supposed to be like, he's supposed to say, I'm, I'm Batman MF or like <laughs> yeah. that, lack of a better term. And that's like so funny. Like, I don't know. I think that's just such a funny, like way to open it up where it's just like yeah this isn't your you know this isn't your grandpa's batman this right is a exactly new this batman. is this is the new edgy batman and it's like it's the 89 version of uh you know the f batman thing we talked about with yeah the with, DC with when titans Titan when titans did that um but i actually uh matched this scene this scene oh you did you as okay well. sure. i was actually gonna save it for the end because i think it's my we favorite. might be matching every pick for this <laughs> i think it's my favorite scene of the movie because it's uh like you said, it starts out with this family, and I love that it's like, it almost makes you try to think you're going to see Batman's origin there, but then it tricks you, and it's not. And then uh, Batman comes in, and just what you're talking about with that scene where Batman glides down in the background, I think that's just like such a cool piece of like uh, cinemat- cinematic storytelling, I guess you'd say, yeah. where... You see, like, there's the uh, robbers in the front who are kind of dev- dividing up their cash, their cash, and you just see this like really striking sil- silhouette of Batman way in the background. Yeah, you don't just, even have a clear shot of him yet. You it's just such see a it cool, land, and it's very quiet. Yeah, and... it's such a cool shot of the movie. Um, this last time I watched the movie, the one thing that bothered me about that scene is. Batman uh, ends up holding the one uh, villain over the edge of the building, and I think that building that uh, villain is played by Buster, Buster Poindexter, but I might be wrong. But I could look that up. Yeah. But the, um, um... anyways, he's holding him over the edge of the bil- building, and he just kind of says, "Tell you know, tell all your friends about me," and then Batman goes and glides off. And that kind of like... I don't think that's Buckster Poindexter, but keep telling. I I, I feel it looks a lot like him. Anyways, um, 
oh, what was I saying? So the one thing that bothered me me about that part though is I noticed Batman didn't give like the people's money back. <laughs> like he just kind of <laughs> left, and he actually didn't really even do anything to the criminals but scare them. And of course the cops come in and they probably resolved all that. But like rewatching it, I was like, really, Batman couldn't have like dropped the money down in the alley so the family could recollect it or something. Yeah, like no, that, he but... had to beat the bad guys up so they could. <laughs> he, he was sending a message is what he was doing. Right. Um. I'm not sure if some of these, some of the ones marked goon or criminal are not pictured. Right. So I don't think it was um, Buster Poindexter. And I feel like he would have had a bigger credit if he did. Um, Yes, I am not seeing him on the list at all. Okay, so, fair enough. I just don't know which one's him because, like, which one that character, which one that actor is, just because there's a lot of unpictured in the um, throwaway goo. Well, he looks a lot like Buster Point. I see where you got. I see where you got that for sure. Um, so that brings me back to my next pick. Um, so there is. Um, I'm gonna go with man. There's so many great sequences in this movie. I've been t- I've been thinking about a Joker one, which I'm gonna I'll probably pick a Joker one here later on. Um, I'm gonna go with the uh, art museum sequence, mm-hmm. and I have a feeling we matched on this one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the art museum from the beginning all the way to the end, and when I say that, I'm talking like from not from Vicky Vale's entrance, but from. Uh, the Joker entering the art museum, yeah. the big song and dance number, all the way to Batman showing up and the way he crashes through the glass at the top. Like, he comes down through the top, like, shatters the glass. The fight scene technically begins, but there's no fight because he does this really cool, like, zipline thing out yeah. of the art museum. And then they get in the car, which you've been waiting to see the whole time. And it's the Anton first Batmobile, which... I'm sorry, it screams Batman. It's the one Batmobile that, like, you'd never second guess. Um, if I were to own a Batmobile, like, if I ever got a chance to own one, it'd be this car. Yeah. Um, and then he, uh, they get in the car, it becomes a car chase, and then it becomes a fight sequence in an alleyway, and then it becomes him running off with the girl. Just, that's what you wanted. The whole movie. It was almost like you were building up to this one great <laughs> Batman moment. Oh, yeah. Uh, since we matched on this, do you have anything to say on that one? Oh, no. I, I love that sequence. Um, yeah, I mean, like, it's funny that I have this on my list, and I didn't even think about, like, the whole, like, after the fact of the sequence that you just talked to, but talked about, but it's such a good action sequence that happens after it. And in my head, when I picked this one, I was actually thinking more specifically <laughs> about the Joker coming in and destroying all the artwork. And I love that uh, there's kind of a cool little uh, Francis Bacon shout-out because that's, like, the Francis Bacon painting is the one painting that the Joker didn't want to destroy. And I can't remember the name of that painting, but I feel like it's actually, like, a very, like, kind of, like, poignant joke about, like, the Joker's disposition and, like, what's going on in the movie at the time. Um, but, yeah, the other thing that I love about this this scene that I just thought was funny is uh, it has a gas attack, and I feel like gas attacks are, like, such a Batman trope at this point that it's just awesome to, like, see one and be like, oh, yeah, there's got to be a gas attack in every Batman movie. And it's, I, uh, I recently was watching this, uh, I think it was a, did, have you ever watched those YouTube videos that are, like, the honest trailers for blank? So it's, like, the honest trailer for 
insert this movie here like oh yeah so they did one that was an honest honest trailer of uh batman the animated series <laughs> and at one part of the uh, one of the part of the trailer the narrator announced and plenty of gas attacks <laughs> it just shows a montage of just like how many gas attacks they had in that show and i was just like and there's one in you know, batman begins and there's one is there one in the dark knight I'm not sure, but I don't it, but it, there but might it is, not be one in yeah. the Dark Knight, but 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 ever since that, like I saw that video and I was like, you know, come to think of it, there was a lot of gas attacks on that show, and I never thought about it. So now it kind of like makes me chuckle a little bit every time I see it in a sure. Batman thing. But um, well, this is coming down to like my final pick of the night, right? Um, and I just think it's like I've had a lot of these like Batman fight sequence, and um, no, no, I have two more picks. My bad. Not my final pick. This is my second to last pick. Um, and since the audience knows we're already watching the movie, uh, it's actually this sequence right here. Yeah. Which uh, is the, be- the best way of wording of it is this is Joker's first reveal. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you get to see him for the first time um, as the Joker. What I love about this is that, you know, Jack Palance, you, we talked, he kind of sent Jack Napier to die, essentially. And then in terms, he meets Batman and then becomes the Joker. But what's what I love about this uh, sequence is that he walks in. You don't really know what's wrong with him yet, um, because you, there was a surgery scene earlier, and clearly something's wrong. He's mm-hmm. he's not right. But he walks in, and I forgot that there was a cut to the show something else. But um, when you cut back to that sequence, and the Joker's in Jack because Jack he kills Jack Palance. But then they cut back and Joker's sitting there at his desk reading the newspaper and like laughing at Batman and yeah. the news and all that stuff. And he's like, wait till they get a load of me. You know what I mean? And the way it all plays out, it's really funny. Yeah. And it's very dark at the same time. Like it's 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 exactly what it's probably the moment of the Jack Nicholson performance that's very Heath Ledger Joker. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, the, he has this that. really dark, like, I'm going to kill this guy moment, and then he's got these, like, funny little lines that he says, like, right there, like, just looking at the newspaper. Or, <laughs> yeah. You know, that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. He, you know, makes some jokes, like, and, and here we are, we've cut back to what I was talking about in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then, you know, it's just, it's so great, and he's just talking to himself, talking to the camera, he's just really chewing the scenery, basically. Mm-hmm. Um but you know this sequence in general so I um I yeah. just, did we match on this one too <laughs> no we actually didn't match on this one but I like uh, you're talking about the reveal of the Joker and I think uh, the way Jack Nicholson looks in this movie is so striking and I've heard people uh, criticize like the makeup used for the Joker like that uh because they use makeup to give Jack Nicholson a permanent smile, but I've heard people say, like, Jack Nicholson has such an elastic face, and he could, re- like, if they didn't have makeup that was hindering his face, he could have been given a more expressive performance. But then, at the same time, you watch the movie, and, like, when you see Jack Nicholson as the Joker, especially the parts where he's smiling, he is, like... It looks like a one-to-one ratio of, like, a picture of the Joker from a Batman comic book to the movie. Like, he's, like, a literal interpretation of the comic book version in those moments. And I kind of appreciate it from that. Just, like, that visual aspect, I think, is awesome. So Right. Very cool. Uh, Well, that would move into my next one. This actually pulls into your final pick. Right. Because we keep matching. So it's finally your final pick. This uh, final pick is actually nowhere near my... uh, I, I actually would have picked my opening scene for, like, the last one to talk... Or the opening scene as the last pick to talk about. Oh, okay. But, uh... 
my my last pick left is uh, the bell tower sequence at the end of the movie. Which part of the bell tower sequence? Because that's a, I mean, that's a, that's a huge that's like sequence. the whole, that's the big climactic so, battle at the end. So rewatching this movie, this is is when I kind of found more of an attraction to the scene where uh, I think it really started when they finally get to the top of the bell tower and uh, Joker gets up there with uh, Vicky Vale and he has her hostage. But what really struck me about this movie, and this is something where if you know Tim Burton, you know he is very influenced by classic monster movies, like the Universal Monsters yeah. and stuff. And when they got to the top of that um, that tower, just the scenery looked so like gothic horror architecture. Like it looked like they were in a tower in like Dracula's castle or yeah. something like that. Or like and on top was, of or on top of the um, windmill that was for Frankenstein. Exactly. And that's like that kind of like gave me a little chill because I realized how much this scene in this Batman movie where everything else is very either high tech or like industrial looking it had like this sort of like gothic like horror castle feel to it and that I thought sure. was like really kind of a cool way to punctuate the end of the movie um, and just in general relating that like the set design and kind of like the way all the architecture in the movie as a whole look I uh, in this watch through I really appreciated that because it all looks like it's again relating back to like yeah that architecture could exist kind of but not well, really and they it's really cool how they I don't know if they were trying to make it look like a comic book or if they were just trying to make it look like something otherworldly like exactly Gotham like gives, City it, gives looks, it like a surreal feeling Gotham City has this really surreal look to it and one of the things they've done with the Batman franchise um, Dark Knight the Dark Knight trilogy aside mm-hmm. um if you look at uh, these films, whether you're looking at the first four of Batman, Batman Returns, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, or if you're looking at the show Gotham, or if you're looking at the animated series, they've always done a job of making Gotham look like you don't know what time period you're living in. Mm-hmm. You know, they have old cars, but they have new phones, or they have like newer computers, but they have old this, or whatever the case may be. It's always like this weird like mix of what's what. Yeah. So you don't really know. Um, and then, you know, they they blend it that way so you don't know. And with the architecture and the architect design that you're talking about with this film, they did a really nice job of making it feel like I don't – like I'm in Gotham City, but that's just I'm in Gotham City. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like it's its own unique mm-hmm. place. Even the wide shots, when you see the, cat, when you see the city from afar – um, even the wide shots of the city have this otherworldly look to it. Yeah, so. and I actually think that like whole exactly what you're talking about, like other otherworldly aspect of the movie, like or of the scenery. Watching it through this time, I think I it might have kind of cemented my opinion that this like Tim Burton version of Gotham might be my favorite, just architecture wise. Even like more so than the uh, Batman the Animated Series sort of. Well, like, Batman the Animated Series kind of looked more like a city. It's it, yeah, and it kind of this. Ba- Batman I mean, this, the Animated this, this Series definitely looked like a city, but it definitely yeah. had like a special. Yeah, but it's like more too. organic and just like weird. Like I don't know, it's almost like you take a city and then mix it with like. Almost like the flavor of the buildings from like Cool World, where they're not all like perfectly straight and stuff. I'm like weaving right. them out, and there's crazy pipes coming out of everything. And I just think it's like the way the city is designed in this movie really kind of captures my imagination too. Right. You know, so, um, pretty cool. All right. So my last pick of the night is a um, is actually a Bruce Wayne moment. Um, 
Michael Keaton, I've always said that when you cast Batman, you're yes, you can you can put him in the suit and mm-hmm. he's going to talk with a different voice and he's going to have he might have a stunt double that helps with a lot of um, the stunts, but at the end of the day, you have to cast Bruce Wayne. And that I think that's one of the reasons why Michael Keaton got the role as Batman. And he um, he's got this great moment early in the movie where he's talking to Vicky Vale and Alexander Knox in his because there's a party going on at Wayne Manor, mm-hmm. and he Vicky Vale and Knox kind of wandered away from the party and they're in this room that has these like giant statues and <laughs> right. stuff going on. Yeah, and they're just kind of poking fun and like where do you get this piece and blah blah blah. They don't even know who Bruce Wayne is yet. They haven't met him, and. Um, Bruce Wayne's kind of like following him in the room and he's listening to him talk and he's like, oh, that's Japanese. And they look at him like, how'd you know? And he's like, oh, because I bought it in Japan. Like he says uh, right. it so matter-of-factly, like, yeah, you know, I just, I just, I, this is what I do. I just buy it in Japan. I'm, yeah. You know, but what's what was really cool about the scene, if you watch the scene as a whole, he does this very weird, like, I'm a rich millionaire, but I'm really not a rich millionaire because I'm this other thing that I have to hide. Yeah. You know? Um, I really like that scene, and it really kind of sells Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne mm-hmm. in a way that, you know, if you were ever wondering, like, where's, like, what did Burton see that makes him Bruce Wayne? That's the, that's the perfect example of that scene, just how he plays it. He plays it so straight, and he understands. It's like he understood what they wanted, like, yeah. all along, you know. So, no, I agree. That's an awesome scene. Um, I, uh... Yeah, I think, like, you're talking about it, and it makes me think, like, Michael Keaton, I think for me, might be the guy who did the best job of playing both Batman and Bruce Wayne. Like, he might not be the best of either character, but I think he played them both at the same time the best, probably. Yeah. And, like, I still look at Michael Keaton back in this movie, and I don't know if he looks exactly like how I imagine Bruce Wayne necessarily at all. But I think he did such a good job playing that character. And then I don't know if I would have like originally. What you know, if you if you think back to the other actors we have, I don't know if Michael Keaton fits my initial like thought of what I think Bruce Wayne would look like. For, for me, I think it, it just has a lot to do with like just his hair texture too. If that's as odd no, as that sounds, you know what I mean. That's like, not an odd thing because I yeah. thought the same thing. And you notice the hair. I think a little. You, you notice Michael Keaton's hair a little bit more in Batman Returns, mm-hmm. um, but. Um, I totally hear what you're saying, yeah. but if you just look at him as a whole, like, sorry, he looks like Bruce Wayne, and then you <laughs> throw him in the Batman suit, and you're like, he looks like Batman. I yeah. mean, I remember, you know, they they made the casting announcement that Michael Keaton was going to play Batman, and you're like, what? Michael Keaton, Mr. <laughs> Mom's going to yeah. be Batman? What? And, you know, this, this comedian's going to play this serious role? What's happening? And then to shut everyone up, they released a poster... Um, I remember having that poster on my bedroom wall. It was Michael Keaton in the Batman suit standing next to the Batmobile, but you couldn't see the whole car. It was literally just like the front like corner of the car, yeah. so you didn't get a clear look at it. But all you did was you looked at that suit, and you're just like, wait, this is what we're getting? <laughs> it was completely unheard of at the time. Um, absolutely amazing. Uh, so, yeah, any closing thoughts on Batman 89 since it's the 30th um, anniversary? Oh, yeah, I was saying like at the beginning of this episode a little bit that I just love like and I kind of talked about this a little bit with the architecture in the movie but I love how much of a uh, artistic approach like Tim Burton had to everything because this is a comic book movie and he didn't have to but I just feel like so much 
kind of creativity went into like creativity and imagination went into designing the characters the scenery like everything and it's really cool like looking back on this movie and noticing it i even was thinking while watching the movie that even the design of uh batman's cowl like kind of just has like a kind of a weird like artsy aspects to it that you can read into it like uh I, I don't know, I was looking at like some of the shots of his cowl in this movie, this last watch through, and I was like, man, it it looks like a bat's face, like, more so than other Batman cowls, where it's got like, kind of like, it's kind of wide in the same way that a bat's face would, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. also, it's also very pointy, and I'm like, it's almost like a cubist version of, the, of a bat, like if Picasso painted a picture of a bat, it might look similar to this cowl, and, and it's just kind of cool. Like the if we ever get a chance to talk, because I don't know if Anton, because Anton first did all the art design for right. the city and the car. I don't know if he did the art design for the suit. Yeah, um, but it makes me wonder. Uh, so if we ever get a chance to find out, that's definitely a question I now want to ask because I never thought about that. Oh, how about this? I never thought about finding out if that was the reason, but yeah. I always noticed that about the cowl. Mm-hmm. And I always just like I think it just is like a really cool like the design that went into this movie. I just appreciate on another level since this last watch through. So yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, um, that kind of brings us to the end. Um, if you haven't seen Batman '89, I highly recommend it. Like I said, and I think Peter will agree, we don't get to Endgame if we didn't have this movie. Oh yeah, for um, sure. This movie really paved the way for what comic book movies should and should look like and are supposed to look like, um, and it really drove everything forward. Um, so uh, this is uh, we're taking a week off. So instead of us doing a normal episode, we decided to do this. So we hope you all enjoy your Fourth of July. Uh, stay safe. Play with fireworks <laughs> safely. Don't blow your hands off. Um, we know and, uh, we know. Watching Batman '89 is the most patriotic thing you can do. I know. So. I just we just we just knew it was 30th anniversary, so we wanted yeah. to do something. We thought this would be a perfect episode to you know do just because it was the number one movie in 1989, 30th anniversary. We're big Batman fans, so we thought we'd tackle this. Um, so if you guys could, uh, we'll see you next week. But uh, please check out our website, top5report.com. Um, there you'll find links to all our social media, Twitter and Facebook. You will also find a link to our um, RSS feed on Apple Podcasts. Uh, there you can leave us a five-star review. Uh, we love the five-star reviews, but we understand criticism because it makes the words we say sound important. But you can also subscribe to us there where you will not miss a single episode. And please tell your friends. Um because we just want to grow and get bigger. Uh, you can follow me personally on Twitter and Facebook at Drew3927. Not uh, Twitter and Facebook. I'm not on Facebook. <laughs> Twitter and Instagram. Um, <laughs> um, at Drew3927. Peter, what about you? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre, <laughs> and that's where I'll be trying to get DC to mention Jack Napier in their comics. Uh, good luck with <laughs> yeah. that. Um, and uh, for the Top 5 Report, uh, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.